Matthew chapter 5, let's go there. We're going to talk about the ministry of presence and learning to abide. Uh, I'm a chaplain, I'm a volunteer chaplain for, the, uh, for our local police department. And uh, we've had as many as six pastors who, at one time, who are chaplains. Right now, it's me and another guy. And um, uh, most of those other chaplains have moved out of the area. And so, um, and I've done this for quite a while. And, and I know, you know, we'll have a group of pastors and we'll, um, we have a meeting every month. And it kind of goes like this. We'll have our meeting and some of the pastors who maybe hadn't been a chaplain for very long or kind of knew it's like, well, what, what, what do we need to do? Uh, what can we do to help the police officers? And we'll do something, you know, once or twice a year. We'll like, one of the local business will donate barbecue and we'll have a feed or we'll participate in the things that they participate in. But, but, but mostly... It's a ministry of presence. It's kind of like, you know, there's really nothing we can do. Uh, a chaplain's kind of like a police officer. You don't want to have to use them, but if, but if you need them, you're glad they're there. It's the way a police officer is. You don't want to have to call the police, but if you need to, you're glad they're there, right? Well, being a Christian in some ways is kind of like that. Um, not exactly, but, you know, our problem from the very beginning, uh, this is part of our sin nature. And if you've been through the Not I But Christ study, you understand where I'm coming from. You know, our problem goes back to the garden and we ate from the wrong tree. And so there were, there were two trees that God named in the beginning. There are actually three uh, trees that were named in the beginning, but uh, one you'll miss if you're not paying attention. They sowed fig leaves. Um, to cover themselves after the fall. But before that, God said there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then there's the tree of life in the midst of the garden. And uh, you can eat from every tree, but you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And you know the story, man ate from it, and he died. And he became separated from God. And so... As a result of our fallen sinful nature, we have uh, an inherent tendency to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's very easy for us to fall into this thing in life where the busier we are, the better. So, you know, we add things and we do things that seem to be good. You know, I know people that will not give their money to the church, but they'll give money to, you know, Uh, homeless people standing on the street corner and they say, well, I gave my money to the homeless guy on the street corner. That's my, that's my gift to God. Um, Well, no, it's not really. It made you feel better, but it's not necessarily your gift to God. That's not what God requires. That's not all that God requires. And so we do a lot of things to kind of make ourselves feel better. We get involved in things and maybe you come to church because it makes you feel better. And that's good. I wanted to make you feel better. I wanted to make you feel good. But, but coming to church just so you can feel better is not, not, not what this is all about. And so sometimes as believers, we feel like we've got to do this and do that and, and, um, and sometimes we just need to learn how to abide in Christ and understand that the very fact that we are and the very fact of who we are is part of our ministry. 
Fathers being present in your home is part of your ministry. It's not that you've got to 24 hours a day be doing something with your kids. You need to be there for your kids. It's not about filling every moment of every day with activity. Activity is good. It can be very beneficial. But if you're not there, if you're not present, and I'm not just talking about in terms of your time. I'm talking about in terms of your being and who you are. Um, being present is important. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And let's read uh, verses 13 through 16. This is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16. The words of Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, we ask that you would today, by the power of your Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds and cause your truth, cause the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel to change us and transform us. Lord, set us free from our compulsion to just be busy or our compulsion to feel that, that we have to do certain things uh, for the sake of doing them. Lord, set us free from that and help us to understand who we are and whose we are and what you have called us to as your children. We ask this, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're called salt and light. We're called to abide and we're called to go and we're called to do each one of those in a way that glorifies God. So the ministry of the believer is a ministry of presence. Let me talk about that for just a moment. So it's not only in doing, but first in being. It's not in what you do. It's first about who you are. You know, people can do all kinds of things, and it doesn't necessarily mean that's who they are. You could dress up in a doctor's um, garb, walk into a hospital, and do things that might be consistent with being a doctor, but it does not make you a doctor. So it's not just about doing. You know, there's actually been people that have done that. People are in prison today because they've actually performed surgeries, and they weren't really doctors, and somehow they... They learn how to talk the talk and walk the walk and wear the clothes and they pull the wool over people's eyes, but then they one day they got caught. Come to find out, this guy's really not a doctor. There are people that come to church every week who are like that. They look like Christians, they sound like Christians, but are they really Christians? So it's not just in doing, but it's first in being who we are and whose we are. Did you catch that? Whose we are. Who do you belong to? Whose are you? 
who we are and whose we are define our life before anything we do. In fact, who we are is defined by whose we are, and that should define all that we do. So because we often seek to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we feel compelled to be busy. If I can just, here's kind of our thought process. This is our default thought process. If I just fill my life with a bunch of good things, then I'm going to be approved by God. We deceive ourselves into thinking that is true. And so we try to do all of these good things, add all these good things to our life, thinking that somehow all my goodness is going to outweigh my badness and God will only see the good and he'll won't pay attention to the evil that's not how it works Isaiah said your good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God remember there's only one good work that counts it's that good work that was done by that one man on the cross that is the only good work we can trust in Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't want us to be good people, doing good things. He absolutely does. But we first need to understand that our goodness doesn't come from ourselves; It comes from Christ. He's the only one who is truly good. And that only in Christ can I now walk out these good things or these good works that God has prepared before me. That's Ephesians 2.10. God has prepared good works for us to walk in. So we have this tendency to want to fill our lives with good things, with good works. But busy does not equal life. Are you hearing me? Busy does not equal life. We are called to enter into his rest and to do so without feeling guilty. So we need to remember this too, that rest does not equal sloth. You know what a sloth is, right? Slothfulness, laziness. Rest does not equal sloth any more than busy equals life. We need to learn how to abide in him and know that our being present in our families, in this church, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our culture, that being present is making a difference just like the presence of salt in your food makes a difference. Now, some of you guys might like your food without salt. I personally like spicy food, and it's pretty hard to get food that is too spicy for me. Now, you can get food that's too salty, right? But I want you to understand that you being present is kind of like salt being present in your food. It makes a difference. We need to learn how to abide. We need to learn where to abide, and we need to learn when to abide. So salt that abides in a salt shaker may be good, but it makes no difference to the food or the eater if it remains in the salt shaker, right? You've Are you following me? We need to learn how, where, and when to abide so that we make a difference. Not because we are busy, but because we are present. Our abiding presence makes a difference. Your presence today 
makes a difference. Your presence in your homes, in your families, makes a difference. Try not showing up to work for a few weeks and ask your employer if your absence has made a difference. (laughs) I promise you it will. (laughs) You see, I made so much of a difference, you don't have a job anymore. Your presence is important for a lot of reasons. So the ministry of the believer is a ministry of presence. The ministry of presence demands that we go. Remember, we're called to abide and we're called to go. So the ministry of presence also demands that we go. So let's go back to the salt shaker analogy. Unless the salt leaves the shaker, its ministry of presence is not effective at all. But just because the salt leaves the shaker doesn't mean that it has gone to the right place. If you spill your salt all over the floor or dump it down the drain instead of seasoning your food with it, it, it's left a salt shaker, but it hasn't done anything. It hasn't been effective. It hasn't made a difference. This is the difference between just being really busy in life and feeling really good about our busyness and abiding and having an abiding presence that is effective wherever we find ourselves present. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but he also called us the light of the world. Now, when you flip on a light switch, what happens? I promise you, if we were to turn every light off in this room right now, it would be pitch black. For, for a, a, a number of seconds. We don't have any windows. A little bit of light coming into that door. But I promise you, we turn all the lights off, it's like blackness. But the moment we flip those lights back on, guess what? I mean, instantaneously, we go from dark to light. What happens when you flip the light on? Light dispels darkness. And so when you flip on the light... The light goes out and it dispels darkness. We as believers are called to go forth. We're called to go. And it is understood that our going forth is to and is dispelling darkness. That's why Jesus said, you don't light a lamp put it under a basket and hide its light. You light a lamp and you set it up so that the light will light the room. Jesus has called you light because you are meant to go and to dispel darkness and to bring light. Paul says this in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. That's Ephesians 5.8. We're to walk as children of light. And that's what light does. It dispels darkness. The light abides. It is present. These lights are, the light is abiding here. The light is going forth, but it's also abiding here. It, listen, 
if it's light in here and it's dark outside and we open these doors, guess what? The light that's in here is going to travel out there and it's going to light to whatever degree that it can. It will light the darkness. It will dispel the darkness that's outside of this building, outside of this room. And so light abides, it's present, but it's actively dispelling darkness. Salt is present, but it's actively salting whatever it is present in. That's the life of the believer. We are salt, actively salting wherever we are present, and we are to be light, actively dispelling darkness wherever we are present. And who we are is to abide And to go forth and make a difference wherever we are. This is who we are. By our very nature, Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. You need to be actively salt and you need to be actively lighting. So this is one of the most important aspects of being a disciple. So whenever... We go out, whenever we're salting, whenever we're lighting, whatever we're doing, we need to never forget that until we learn how to abide in him, we will never be able to to go effectively. If we're just salt that's getting dumped on the floor or poured down the drain, we might be going somewhere, but we're not having the effect that God wants us to have. So we need to learn how to abide in in him or we will never be able to go effectively in fact we can experience much waste if we do not first learn how to abide in him and to be present in a way that glorifies God let me give you an example and ladies I'm not picking on you okay Y'all believe me, don't you? Okay. You don't, who said no? Oh. <laughs> First Peter. I don't have the scripture. Uh, I'm sorry. It just, just came to my mind. I want to quote this to you. First Peter chapter 3. Peter writes this. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some who do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What's Peter saying? Peter's saying, wives, if you're abiding with a husband who is not a believer, the way to win him is to not remind him every day how he doesn't go to church with you, how he's not very godly, how he needs to read his Bible, how he should be praying, how he should be the spiritual head. The way to win him is not every day reminding him how unspiritual he is, how unchristlike he is, constantly no he says the way to 
win him is to be present in that marriage in such a way that God would use your very life as a demonstration of the gospel. And through your presence, the Spirit of God would win over the heart of this man. Do you see the difference? There's two different ways you can be present there. You can be present there and badger, try to badger him into the kingdom, which is going to just do what? Drive him farther away. Or Peter says what you can do is be present there and let the Spirit of God work through you as a ministry of presence. Let the truth be in you. Let the truth be manifest through you. Let your life be a living epistle that he reads every day and trust the Spirit of God to work in his heart. We can flip that over to the same way with men. Men who are living with women who are not a believer, what is the best thing you can do? The best thing you can do is lead that woman and love that woman the way Christ would the church. Not by telling her how ungodly she is, not by chastising her, but by being a living example. Do we need to preach the gospel to the world? Yes, we do. Do we need to use our words? Absolutely, we do. But we better also know how to back up our words with our lifestyle. We better know how to love and not just talk about love. If we don't know how to abide in Christ, we'll never know how to go out into this world and make a real difference. That's true whether we're talking about your family, your work influences, your neighbors, or beyond. So we need to learn how to abide. We need to learn that how we are going makes a difference. Where we are going makes a difference. So this is one of the most important aspects of being a disciple. It's learning how to abide in Christ. Learning to abide in him is learning to trust him. Let's go back to the scripture in Peter. What is Peter telling that wife to do? She's saying, trust God. Now, this is my belief that human beings are all control freaks. Some admit it freely. Some are in denial. But we all, in our fallen nature, want to be in control. And we demonstrate that regularly all the time. Some people think that through their words, they can control people. They can change people. Peter is telling wives, trust God. Give yourself over to God. Give your Husband over to God. Husbands, give your wives over to God. Love them the way Christ loved the church with no strings attached. Love them unconditionally and let that love, trust God to use your love to win them over. 
Wives, trust God to use your example to win them over. So learning how to abide is learning how to trust God. It's learning how to trust His will, how to trust His ways, how to trust His timing in all things. It's learning to trust that His ways and His thoughts are higher than our own. This is what Isaiah 55, 9 says. God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. So learning to abide in Him is learning to relinquish control. It's learning to surrender. Let's go to John chapter 15. Let's look at this parable or this metaphor Jesus used. This tale of vines and branches and fruit and glory and joy and love. Jesus talks about all of these things here in John 15. Let me read these 12 verses to you. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. should highlight that word abide every time you see it in these verses. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and there gathered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. This is my Father. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So in this parable, or this metaphor of Jesus, he's teaching his disciples the importance of learning to abide in him so that they would be fruitful and would glorify the Father and would continuously experience the fullness of his joy and love. Now we're called branches abiding in the true vine. That true vine is Christ. We're called to abide in his life produce his fruit, procure his glory, and realize his joy and love. We're called to abide in his life, and we're brought into that life through his death. 
to abide in his life, we are brought into his death. The door to resurrection is the cross. Almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? Can't live unless you die. I'm not talking about physical death here. I'm talking about to lose our life, to be crucified with Christ, and to find his life in resurrection power on the other side of the cross through the new birth. The door to resurrection is the cross. We come to abide in his resurrection life by entering into his death in the cross. We lose our old life to find his resurrection life. This is what Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's a miracle. That's amazing. This is what we're called to do when we're called to abide in his life. We're called to produce his fruit. To produce his fruit, we are given his spirit. A branch that's not abiding in the vine can't produce anything because it's not connected to life. We're called to produce his fruit. And in order to do that, we are given his spirit. And when we're given his spirit, we're joined to him in life. Christ is the life of the believer and his life abides in us by the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is the manifestation of his life in us, just like the fruit of the vine, grapes hanging on the end of a, of a grapevine is the manifestation of the life that's in that vine. If we are branches abiding in the true vine, we must produce the fruit of his spirit that's living in us. And what is the fruit of the spirit? Well, there's a list of characteristics there in Galatians 5.22, but notice that the very first thing listed is love. Because love is the defining characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says right here in John 15, he's talking to his disciples and he says, Love, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love one another. Right before he tells them that, he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And he equates that fruitfulness with love. So we're called to abide in his life. We're called to produce his fruit. We're called to procure his glory. The word procure means to get, to obtain. We are called to get his glory, to bring him glory. And Jesus said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, that you bring the vine dresser much fruit to procure his glory. We are bearing his fruit. The Father is glorified in our fruitfulness and so in our discipleship because disciples bear his fruit and bring him glory. We're called to realize his joy in love. And to realize his joy, we are given his word and called to his love. Look at verse 11 here. John 15, 11. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. In other words, I've given you my words. 
You've heard my words. I've spoke my words. Why? That you may have my joy and that your joy may be full. Love one another as I have loved you. To realize his joy, we're given his word in every way. The written word, the living word, we're given his word. And called to his love. The joy of the believer is revealed in his word and experienced in his love. We will never realize his joy until we receive and give his love. Love is a path that originates with God that is to be traveled with joy in all directions. John says we love him because he first loved us. Love is a path that originates with God that is to be traveled in all directions. We are not called to just receive God's love. We are called to give God's love in every direction. To give it back to him. To give it to one another. We are called to rest. We're called to work. We're called to praise. We're called to rejoice in love. We are called to be an abiding presence. And we are called to go. We are called to be and we are called to make disciples. We are called salt, called light, we're called branches. Just in these two scriptures that we've looked at, Jesus has called us salt and light and branches. That means we're called to salt in a verb sense, in an action sense. Salt, go salt. Light, go light. Branches, go be fruitful. And we are called to this for his glory and for our joy. Don't forget the joy part. See, some people operate as though they're called to this because they're obligated to it. We're called to this for his glory. And we should find joy in bringing glory to the Father. And we should experience joy in bringing glory to the Father. And if it's not what we love to do, it's not from a heart of love, it's going to be hard for us to find and experience that joy. And if we only are people who want to hoard up and receive and store up all of God's love, but we're never traveling this path in all directions and giving what's been given to us, if we're not giving it back to God and we're not giving it to one another, we won't be very joyful. All of this, all of this is like our faith. It's working through love. So salt that is salting, light that is lighting, branches that are being fruitful, all of this is working through love. We're called to abide and to go, to be present and to make a difference through our presence. Your presence here is making a difference. Your presence in your home is making a difference. Your presence at work is making a difference. Your presence in the culture is making a difference. 
But don't just be content with that. Learn how your presence can be most effective in every way. Ask God to show you. Ask God to instruct you, to counsel you. Go to his word and ask him to illuminate it by his spirit. Ask him to open the eyes of your heart, of your mind, that this word would come alive to you, that you would begin to find joy and love and peace and and you would just abound in the fruit of the spirit as you realize that your abiding presence, wherever you are, God is using for his glory. Make a difference wherever you are present and start by understanding that you are, that your very presence, wherever you are, in whatever capacity, is making a difference as you are abiding in Christ, as you are living out the gospel, and as you are trusting him to work through you by the power of your spirit. Let's go back to what Peter wrote to those wives. That applies to all of us, whether we're husbands, wives, single, married, or doesn't matter. We will not change people by talking them into change. We will change people by allowing God to change us, by walking out that change that God has brought to our life. That's called the gospel. The gospel is what changed you. The gospel is what transformed you. Walk out the gospel in your life and trust that God is working through your words as you speak the truth, through your life as you live the truth, God is working through you and he is bringing about change around you and those people that God has placed in your life so that you would be an influence, so that your life in Christ would be an influence in their life. This is what the church is in the earth for. This is why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Our presence in the culture should really make a difference. Now, it might be different. How some of you are going to do that is going to be different. For some of you, it's going to be raising your children, educating your children, and allowing God to work through you. For some of you, God has put you in places and given you platforms that other people don't have, and so God can work through that. Through your work, you might work with a group of people, and you may never, may never go outside of uh, just a maybe a few-block area. You might work, and you might visit and touch people all over the world. God knows he's put you where he wants you to be. He's given you the influence and the sphere of influence that he wants you to have. And it's not our place to 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 want to try to change that. It's our place to surrender to God and say, okay, God, this is where you have me right now. How can I be salt? 
that is salting most effectively? How can I be light that is dispelling darkness most effectively? How can I be a branch that is most fruitful so that I bring the most glory to you? And God, in your grace, would you give me joy and allow the world to see my joy in you full and overflowing and your love for me full and overflowing that my life would be a witness whether it's just with this little group here or whether it's with a much larger stage you have a ministry of presence But your first order of business is to learn how to abide in him so that you can go and most effectively do what God has called you to do because you are who you are. You are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. You have been born again and given the life of the Son of God. And the king has sent you with his power and with his authority to bring glory and honor to his name. It is your greatest privilege. I pray that it will become your greatest joy. Amen? Let's all stand. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to learn how to rest in him, to learn how to abide in him to learn how to be his disciple. That is bringing maximum glory to his name. And if you'll just take your Bible and find out what all of that implies and what all of that entails, I'm telling you what, it is a life of adventure that you might not be ready for. But don't worry, he'll get you ready for it, okay? Father, I I ask today that you would, in your grace, do a mighty work in our lives. Do a mighty work in our hearts and in our minds. God, we are people that, Lord, in too many ways are living in an old creation, in an old earth, in an old life. While we've been translated out of that old life, out of that old creation into a new one. Father, I pray that you would do a work of renewing our mind, that we would come into the wonder of this new creation you have brought us into by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, you would begin to reveal to us what you have called us to and who we are and what you have put at our disposal as you have sent us forth as your ambassadors as your messengers, as those that have been given the privilege to proclaim the gospel of Christ. God, help us to proclaim it with our words, but also with our lives. Lord, give us the wisdom of how to abide, when to abide in silence, and when to shout it from the rooftops. God, we confess our weakness. We confess that we can only do this by your grace. 
We confess, God, that we are not wise enough and strong enough in ourselves. So we fall broken before you and we confess our utter weakness. We ask, God, that you would be our strength. You would be our wisdom. You would fill our mouth with your words. Make known your glory and your fame in all the earth. Father, we ask this, that you would be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.